Hi, I'm Mansur Bahrami and you're listening to Functional Tennis Podcast. Welcome back to the Functional Tennis Podcast with part two of the Mansour Barami episode. I'm Fabio Molly, your host, and you'll find me at our new Instagram account called Functional Tennis Podcast. Come by, say hello, and give us a follow. We are giving away a copy of Mansour's book, The Court Jester, and for a chance to win it, leave us a comment on our last post featuring Mansour over at the Functional Tennis Podcast Instagram account. Last week's episode finished with Mansour escaping Iran with a flight to Nice and he soon finds his way to a casino with a dream of multiplying his money so he could stay in France for months. Unfortunately, his plan quickly backfires and he's left penniless. We carry on the story from here. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's, it was really, you know, but I wasn't really very sad because I said with, with 800 pounds to stay 10 days or, or one day is the same thing because in the, I cannot find a place in I can't even talk to anybody. I'm talking to people. They just turn their face. They don't even look at me. I said, how can I do? I mean, it's a, the story is very long. Yes. So it's good. <laughs> it's, I make it short. I go to the, to the, I try to make it short. I go to Iran Air and I just uh, make my reservation for the day after to come back. John Gear, John Gear is here. John Gear is the man who I told you earlier. I talked to him. Uh, once, twice a week, he's in New York, yeah. who was sponsoring me, paying me to go out and play. So he said he's here, here, his number, call him. And he's, I said, I, I can't call him, say, Jangir, I'm here. I need money. I have lost all my money. There's no way. I am ashamed of myself to do this. I can't do that. So he called. He called him and Jangir came and, and we saw him. And I was just so happy to see him. And he said, how much do you need? I said, 200 pounds, you know, 200 pounds just to, 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 to just go to, from this tour here yeah. to Toulon. And so that 200 pounds changed my life. I went to these tournaments and I played. I won three of them, not been playing for three years and a half. Three of them and two of them are lost in the final. And now, you know, I came back. This is now like four, four weeks, uh, four weeks uh, later. It's like, uh, Around 10th of September, Nice is completely empty. And I go to the French, uh, you know, the Federation office and I see this guy. He says, don't tell me anything. I know all your results. You are, it's great what you've done. I'm not uh, surprised, but sorry, I can't do anything for you. I am going to write a letter for French uh, Federation. I think the best for you is to go to Paris. So. I took that letter and I came to Paris and then, uh, in Paris, uh, my, everything was like horrible because, uh, there were many, many days I had nowhere to sleep. Many nights I, I walked. I'd never slept in the streets, but I walked the whole, all the night until the day comes out and I could be, you know, like an ordinary people. And then I go to, to, to Roland Garros where the Federation, Fred Federation is. I would sleep on the bench there two, three hours to get some energy and, and, and to be able to do the same thing for the next night and the next day. Yeah, it was very tough. And, uh, I went to the, to see the assistant of, uh, Philippe Chatrier who 
was the French Federation's president. And I gave him the letter, gave her the letter. And her name is Regine Thor. Regine Thor. She's a very, very, very nice lady. She really tried everything to help me. Nothing worked. But just seeing her, how much she's trying, it was for me, was like uh, the best thing, you know. And I never thank her enough. Every time I see her, even now, now she's taken her retirement at least for uh, 20 years. But I, it happens that I see her once, maybe a year. And I always say, Master, I didn't do anything for you. I said, but you tried. And that was, uh, you know. So... The days were going, the weeks were going, and my visa was ending on 29th of October. And I was there in Roland Garros waiting all day. This lady was trying, contacting all the clubs to say that there is this man, Mansur Brahmi, you know, this is his ranking. He needs a club. He wants to play, you know. No one, no one. There was, she put the ad on the tennis magazine saying that Mansur Brahmi is a good player, this is his results and everything, 24 years of age, he's looking for a club, he needs to play, and no one gave a positive answer. Uh, and at the same time, she was trying to, to extend my visa, writing letters to, to the uh, police, you know, uh, department, uh, visa section and everything, to get the foreign ministry to get the, the visa sorted. But nothing was uh, every time I went there. In the morning, I was at the prefecture. I don't know how you call it. That's, uh, this is, it belongs to the foreign ministers, you know, to, to the, where they give you like a green card, you know, and, and, and the embassy. The, Would it be like an embassy? Like embassy. No, not embassy. No, it's this French uh, administration for foreigners. Yeah, foreign ministry. They, told me every every day I was there in the morning and afternoon with the, with the Federation to see if there is a job for me. And um, they said to me, listen, we're not going to extend your visa if you, you have a possibility of become political uh, refugee, asylum. I could not accept to be a political uh, asylum because that means you become, how do you say, apatrite, when you have no country. Yes, I, I'm. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Is it, it's not a patriot? Not patriot is somebody who is very, very national and paid for their country. It's somebody who is who has no country, you know, because they take your passport, they give you a document, and they say you can go anywhere with this. You can work in France. This is what they told me. You can work. You can go anywhere, but you can never go back to Iran. My father, when I left Iran, he was 81 years old. And I had to see my father before he died. So I said, I cannot do that. I cannot be a political refugee. So that would have been the best thing for me if I was alone, if I was all, no family, nobody. But that would have been very selfish from my part, to accept that and say, okay, to, uh, to hell with my family. I don't want to see my mother, my father, my brothers and sisters, you know. So, no, I could not do that. So, and I'm very happy I didn't do that. So, these days are going, going. One day I was 
watching there and uh, sitting there and watching there was Nastasi, Ili Nastasi and Guillermo Vilas were practicing. I could see them from far. And uh, so I didn't want to bother them. I didn't even know if Nastasi, which I knew, if he remembers me, you know. So I sat there and uh, this guy finished and they came towards me and I stand up and I say, hello, Nasty and hello, Guillermo. And Nasty goes, oh, my God, I cannot believe, Mansoor. Where have you been? We thought that you were hung up, you were killed by the revolution. Oh, God. I'm so happy to see you. And what's going on? When did you come here? I said, well, I came here about like a month ago and uh, six weeks ago. And then so I'm, you know, trying to to do. And, and he goes to me that night. I didn't know where I'm going to sleep and I had nothing to eat. So he says to me, Masur, but please tell me what can I do for you? This I can, I can, I can help you. You know, you, you, if there's anything you, you know, I can, if there's anything you need, tell me I can. I swear to God that that night I didn't sleep uh, in a bed. I walked all the night, but I told him, thank you, Nasty. Everything is fine because I knew that. I have to do it my way. I had to do it myself. It's not because I'm, he's going to, okay, he's going to say, okay, stay, stay in my place for one week, 10 days. And what after? What is going to happen after? I had to find the way to get out of this mess myself. And I'm, the, my luck was that I was single. I had no, no kids or anybody, you know, so I could have a sleep even sleep in the street or nothing eat for two days, three days. But I couldn't say to my kid, I have nothing to give you to eat. So these days, and they are gone and gone. And 26th of uh, October, I know that I have done everything and I can't. I don't know what to do. So I see there is a tournament in 20 kilometers north of Paris. It's called Olney Soubois. There is like... Uh, 600, 700 uh, uh, euros uh, for the winner, which was like 3,000 uh, uh, 3, francs, francs. 30, 30 pounds then. And uh, I can play that there. And, and then and then I say 29th, my visa is over. I go back home. I, I don't know what to do. So I go to play this tournament. I came in, uh, I speak in English with the uh, referee there. And I say, I introduce myself. A category, a tennis player of my category was, was uh, housed by the tournament, either in people's house or in the hotel. Okay. So they had to pay for my, my, uh, uh accommodation. Yeah. I'm saying to this guy, and then there is another guy coming and hears us talking. He says, Hello, my name is Daniel Mayer. And I just heard what you said to the referee. If you want, you are very welcome to stay in my place. And I said, well, thanks. I, yeah, thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate that. But I, he says, okay, let's go. I said, I, if you don't mind, I haven't been hitting balls. I have to go practice a little bit because tomorrow I have to play my match. He says, no, come to my, my club to, uh, is a much better club. We go eat together and then I, uh, we practice and then I bring you tomorrow here to play your match. I said, okay, he brings me to Vilpant Tennis Club and we are eating and the director of the club is coming. His name is Jacques Rennes. 
Daniel introduced me to Jacques and he says Mansour is looking for a club, you know, to give lessons, to play the club matches and everything. And Jacques says, Mansour, if you want to stay here, you are welcome to say this as your club. I, I cannot guarantee that you get uh, any students, anybody who wants to play with you. But uh, for me, it doesn't matter. You can stay. And I can, I have, I know some police friends here, members. We can help you maybe with your visa to extend your visa. So this, this, this is the thing I was looking for from the very beginning. I say, great. So this becomes my club. I go uh, the day after I play the tournament. I come to the, the, to the end of the tournament. I win the tournament and I got like, I don't know, two, three thousand francs, which would uh, give me for five, six days, you know, food and, and hotel and everything. And then I'm in this, this, this uh, club now. So I stay in, 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 uh, in Daniel Mayer's place. I stayed all together for like three weeks in his house. And then, you know, he had his family and everything. I just said, I have to go. So I went out, out again. Again, the things that I cannot uh, know where to sleep and everything. The club is making me extending with the help of the, the police and the town hall and everything. Two weeks, 10 days, two weeks. And this is going, it brings us to end of December. And after end of December, he says, Mansur, I, I'm sorry. I cannot do anything else for your visa. Now, you know, if you want to stay, you stay. You want to go, it's, it's up to you. But now it's been four months, uh, five months I'm, I'm, I'm in, in, uh, in, uh, in France. Now I, I know that I can find my survive. way to survive and succeed. So I said, no, I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to go back now. So I start hiding from the police. And as soon as I see a police, <laughs> police, uh, uh, guy a hundred yards from me, I change my direction because every, uh, you know, they could every yeah. second tell you, okay, your paper just control. And if you don't have, they put you in the first. I was very, very worried about that, you know, so. And did you ever get stopped by the police? I never got stopped by the police, but I was not, not until I was, uh, after, after that, everything was, uh, how do you say, legalized. After I had my visas, everything, you know, the green card and everything. Yes. Or control with the speed control or sometimes just I yeah. show the papers, but not when I had no papers. But I was very worried and I was just trying. I was, my eyes were open all the time to see if I see a police somewhere, you know. You have to be in that a situation to understand, uh, you know, the feeling. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I can't say it's good always looking over your shoulder. And tell me, so was it when you're 30 then, you got some papers? How did you eventually get French papers? Well, that is um, getting there from uh, like beginning January until uh, June. Now in 1981, I'm illegal. I'm illegal. I live illegally. I stay in this club. Sometimes one week, all day from uh, eight in the morning till nine in the nine at night. And there I'm waiting for somebody to come and tell me, okay, let's go give me a lesson. You know, that sometimes I was getting like one lesson per week. That was 80 francs. That was eight pounds to, you know, to give lessons. So that was like uh, all I had to 
So we're coming in May 1981, and there is this man, Jacques Dorfman, who was the referee of French Open, who died three years ago. Good man. And he, he says, Mansour, you know, I know how good you are and everything, but I had zero ATP points. He says, I give you a wild card for the pre-qualifying. That means you have to win three matches to be allowed to play in the qualifying round, okay? This is the chance of my life. So I win the three matches, and then I'm in the qualifying uh, tournament. I win three more tournament matches there. That is six matches. And then I come the first day again, I play. Now it's in like uh, four days, I'm playing my seventh match. The six, five days, you know, seventh match. And I beat uh, Jean-Louis Ayer, who was number four or five Frenchman, you know, and for the first time. And, and, you know, playing on the court, thinking that any moment police can come in and say, where is your paper? Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it could be, you know, funny when you're not in that situation. But uh, you, you think about all that, you know. Four or five years later, I was playing exhibitions with, uh, with Nastasi. Sometimes he was joking. You could uh, hear the police going not far in the street from the club, uh, you know, with, how do you call the, the siren? The siren. Yeah. And Nastasi would go in front of all the crowd. Mansur, did they coming after you? You know, it was kind of interesting <laughs> to make people laugh. But I win against Jean-Louis Ayer my first match in four sets. And then uh, the media, they asked me on a press conference. So I go there. And, and in these days, Iran was on the first top news every day, everywhere in the world about the war. We are in war. We had Ayatollahs, you know, with the Iraq and everything. And for the first time, they said, who is this guy? Iranian guy who beat French guy? So they're asking me, who are you? What are you doing here? I said, well, I'm Iranian. I am illegal. I want to live in this country. I want to play tennis. And your country, your, they don't want. So this is now I'm shouting and I'm saying to uh, help, you know. So these people, they, I remember very well, there was at that time, we had only one FM radio station which was called Radio 7, Radio Set. They did uh, the interview with me that they were uh, broadcasting it every half an hour. I don't know, 20, 30 times in the day. You know, I had an interview with, there was images. I was in Figaro Magazine Journal and the journal, the biggest sports journal. And they said, this is disgusting. This is impossible. We are sometimes... Uh, housing, we are bringing the dictators and, and criminals that we gave them security and, you know, hospitality. But this guy, he was only play tennis. We want, we want to kick him out. So they helped me. And, uh, I went, uh, the, like after, week after I finished my tournament, the week after I went with the help of somebody, a friend that he knew a little bit, the governor there the same guy who was asking me to leave the country, you know, or ask for uh, asylum, he gave me my, uh, like a green card visa for one year. They call it the residence cards. Like he gave me the residence card valuable for one year. And once you have that, 
if you don't do any crime or anything, that is the, usually they do it again one more year. And then the third year, they give you one for three years. And then they give you one for 10 years. So you become almost like French. So from then, my life changed completely. I didn't have to uh, hide from anybody. And the playing, qualifying for French Open, people talking about me made a little bit publicity for me. The French people, French tournaments, especially the French small tournaments, they knew me a little bit. They start asking me to come and play their tournaments. From then on, my life got a little bit easier. Nice. It must have been amazing, like the first time you're at Roland Garros playing in the pre-qualities, you dreaming as a as a young kid, you know, you imagine the crowd and everything, all of a sudden you're there. That must have been such a great feeling for you. Yes, it was a great feeling to be there. It was, for me, was uh, it was like almost a question of uh, life, how do you say it? Uh, life and, and death, you know, I had to, that was my last chance, my last chance to, to, to make something of this, something positive. And I did. And then the next round after, you know, there's the last six days I'm playing my eight match number eight, you know, and, and, uh, I play against, uh, this American player, Mel Purcell, who was like number 20, 25 in the world. How far did you get? I, I, I lost the second, the, the second round. I lost the second round. And that was because uh, I, if everything was going well, I had a better chance to do better, to do better than first round. But that day, uh, it was on a, uh, I was playing against an American player. His name was Mel Purcell. Mel Purcell, and, and at that time, they didn't have all these screens all over the place, you know, and when you, today, if you go to Wimbledon as a player or French Open, every second, you know exactly uh, what is going on uh, on your on your court. In that time, I was scheduled six match from 11, okay? And uh, in the player's restaurant, there was no screen TV. And when they called your match, you couldn't hear that they called your match. Okay. So I'm hitting, I'm, I'm eating. I went to the restaurant at one, one fifteen, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to eat. Uh, I'm going to be ready around for, to be ready for five o'clock, you know, five, five thirty. I'm eating and, uh, and, and it's good because <laughs> I, I can eat anything. So I eat more, more than usual because I don't get those kind of food all the time. And, uh, I am about to take my dessert and I see Chris Lewis. Uh, you know, Chris Lewis? Was he tournament director? No, of no, no. Or? Chris Lewis was a, a New Zealander who, uh, later, he was a good friend of mine who later became a finalist in, 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 in Wimbledon, was a Wimbledon finalist. And he comes into the restaurant and said, Mansoor, they just said last call, they called your match. I said, no, no, I'm playing like not before 5, 5.30. He says, Mansoor, they just said last call. So I just run and I'm full like crazy. And I run to the locker room and I hear last call for Mansoor Bromi. I grab my bag, I come in the court, is. And it's like one minute later, I'm disqualified. And I come to the court. I was playing on court three. The court is packed. I come in and I say uh, to Mel Purcell, I, I wanted to shake his hand and I'm apologizing. I asked him, I'm very sorry. I didn't hear anything. And he told me, 
he said to me, uh, I, I go, screw you, I, I don't shake your hand. And uh, people <laughs> started uh, uh, booing him and everything. And so we play and I can't not move. He wins the first set. I win the second set, uh, second set or maybe lose the second set. And I start just, uh, how do you say, my food is, is, I'm burning it right now, you know? So I win. Harper. I lose, I lose four sets. And, and anyway, I, I think really if, because I had nobody to take care of me, you know, if you had someone, he would say, Mansoor, be careful. The matches are going fast. There was two matches didn't play. You know, so instead of me playing around five, six, I had to be on court at two, you know, so I was so heavy in the court. I, and I, after the match, he didn't, uh, he didn't shake my hand. He said, uh, go screw yourself. I'm not shaking your hand. Oh. Everybody booed him. And there was, you know, uh, the media, the people asked me how his he behaved and everything. And then it's okay. I fin finished and, uh, yeah, that was second tour. And then uh, Mel Purcell came like uh, two, three hours after our match. He came and he says, hey, listen, man, I'm so sorry. I um, didn't shake your hand. All the players are insulting me. They're saying that you are a good man. And, uh, you know, but, you know, you understand you are Iranian and American. I say, I don't understand you. You're American. I'm, uh, I have many American friends. I am in the tennis court. I'm not in the... Uh, so I'm not fighting you. I'm, I'm, I'm in the sport. If I'm here, it means I'm against all the, whatever is, uh, war and everything. And he says, I'm sorry. I, everybody is giving me a hard time because I, I act like a, how do you say, like a idiot. So I want you to, you know, forgive me. And I check his hand and I said, it's okay. No problem. So. Later on, after that, we played many, many times, but that was the story of uh, Mel Fursel and me. Nice. Did you know we have over 170 great episodes with coaches, players, trainers, and experts working at the highest level of the game? Tap the subscribe button on your podcast app so you don't miss out on the latest episodes of the podcast. And to listen to our great back catalogue of episodes with the biggest game changers in tennis, go to functionaltennispodcast.com. So next, so oh, your visa, you get your one-year visa, you're playing more tennis and everything's getting better. Sure, everything is getting better. I'm starting to be, uh, you know, known in the small tournaments, you know, which is in France. And people are asking me, they're paying me guarantee to come and play their tournaments, you know. Uh, so I, 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 and I play, there was like, at that time, four, three, four tournaments, ATP, you know, in France, and I have to, that's the only ATP tournaments I'm playing. I can't play anything else because I can't go anywhere. You know, like in three years later, that in 1984, I'm playing pre-qualifying and then qualifying, and then I'm coming to the main draw in the tournament in uh, uh, Mets, which is like a ATP tournament. It's like a Today's uh, 500, you know, the uh, tournament's 500. I'm, I'm in the semi-final and, uh, in, in like in six days, I have played, uh, six and, and, and four, ten matches, you know. There was this, uh, ATP supervisor, Weller Evans, you know, and he's asking me, he says, Mansur, you have a special exam for the next tournament, which is in Brussels. 600 then was $600,000 tournament. He's asking me, do you want to take this? 
I said, this is the chance of my life. You know, I, of course I won the special exam. You know what the special exam is, right? No. No, a special exam is... Wild card. It's some kind of wild card because I was in the semifinal in Mets tournament, okay? But in the same time, I had entered to play. I was entering every tournament, but I couldn't get the visa. So I have entered to play the tournament in Brussels, okay? But qualifying starts on Friday in Brussels, and in Friday I have to play in in in, in Metz, my semifinal, okay? Yeah, no, I, yeah, I get it now. So they give you a special exam. They give you uh, that because you cannot play in in and because you are in the semifinal there, so you get straight in the in the main draw. So that would have been like fantastic for me, but. So I told him, please help me to get visa for Belgium, which is only an hour and a half drive from Paris, you know? And, and so they are doing everything to get the visa, to get them embassy ambassador and everything. And the guy says, we need two months before saying to him yes or no. Two months, I say, I have to play tomorrow, you know, after tomorrow, two months, I don't want to go in two months there. So that is exactly what happened like in, you know, in 1986, I was just playing in France. I was like 40 in doubles, you know, just playing doubles in France, three, four tournaments a year. I was ranked like 40. I want to go to uh, Australia. I want to start 1986. I want to start in, into the first Grand Slam and I have a chance. I'm saying to myself, I, I'm playing good and I have a good chance of making a semi-final, final. Maybe I can also lose in the first round, you know, but at least I can try. So I go three months before the tournament to get my visa for Australia. I know it's going to be long. So the Australian embassy, I was there in 1976, okay? Now I have my past for 1976, showing them I have already been there, and I am showing them now it's 1986. I am a father, my wife is here, I just want to go play this tournament. They make me buy my air tickets, uh, return, uh, that I have to show them, which I get the cheapest ticket possible because, you know, I don't have much money to go to a Australia. So that is like, I remember very well, 17,000 francs which was then like uh, uh, 1,700 pounds, which was a huge amount of money. So they asked me a letter from Colin Stops, who was the, the tournament director in Melbourne. I have a letter from ATP. I have a letter from French, French Federation. And uh, everything they ask, I have. And they say, okay, we'll let you know for uh, another interview. They called me like uh, six weeks later, I go for another interview. They asking me question, I have the same answers. Uh, you know, I live here, this is my car, 10 years visa, 10 years uh, residence, and this is my wife, this is my son, this is my address. And so they say, well, you, we need another interview. So in, we call, call you. So they call me, um, you know, uh, end of December now, tournament is starting in three days. And I call and I go there and I say, listen, I have to be there in three days play. You give me the visa or you don't give me visa. And they said, well, 
we are still waiting for the answer to come from the interior minister there. Maybe in four or five weeks. I say four or five weeks, there is no tournament. So I, I, I didn't go and I had a hard time getting my money back from the airline uh, agency. To tell you how much problems I had. So in 1989, now I'm French, okay? I'm still, still, you know, I'm 33 and I think I can still play uh, uh, you know, three, four, five years in doubles. So I, again, I want to go to Australia. It is very important for all the tennis players to start with the first Grand Slam, you know, of the year. And, uh, so it's for me, it's very important too. I'm, I'm still well ranked and I know that I can do something good in Australia. So I call the embassy. I say, you know, I need a visa. I want to go. They say, what passport are you holding? I say French. They say, come here. You need just two photos and come here in 15 to 20 minutes to get your visa. And I go there and I stay two and a half hours. I sit there and I see people coming, going, coming, going. And after two and a half hours, they call me Mansur Brahm. Yeah, window number number three. I go to window number three and I see this lady. She says to me, uh, Mr. Brahmi, you have already applied for the visa. I said, listen, I called here and this is my passport, it's French passport. Three years ago, I came here with Iranian passport and uh, you told me that, uh, you know, we're still waiting. And she goes, to me, we are still waiting for the answer to come. I had a very uh, bitter, bitter uh, smile. And I said, you cannot be serious. She goes, yes, yes. And I said, just give me my bloody passport. I don't want to, you know. So that's, uh, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't go, you know. When's the first time you went to Australia? First time in 1976. While you're in France, when was the next time you went? No, to- I didn't go until uh, 15 years ago for the seniors. Now I'm going every year. Briefly, you didn't know who I was at the time, but I saw you last year. I got a quick photo with you outside Rod, in the Rod Laver Stadium. We had a photo together? Yes, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I'm playing there since now 15, 16 years every year. I'm very lucky, you know, everywhere I go, they ask me to come back again, you know. For example, you know, Albert Hall, when I'm playing this year, would have been my 25th year in the row. I'm the only one who, who's done that. Or in hurling on tournament, yeah, I don't know if you know, I played there for 28 years in the row. So, uh, Wimbledon people, great people, they changed, had a, a, a rule there was when you're 59, you play for the last time there in the seniors gentleman tournament. I just, I love them and I say thank you to them. They changed that and I was invited to go there this year again as a 64-year-old, you know, and I played there when I was 60, I played there when I was 61, 62, and that is, uh, I'm very proud of that. With the audience that you draw, like it makes no sense for them not to invite you back because you entertain so much and that's what the crowd wants to see. So it would be a bad decision if they didn't invite you back. Well, I still thank them and, and they're doing a great job there and it's a very exceptional tournament, the best in the world and it's, it's fantastic too. It's a big honor to play there every year and I just love it every second of it. Last year I played on court number one and that's, these people were like, it's unbelievable, you know, when you go and, and uh, like three minutes standing ovation when you leave the court, it's 
that has no price for me. That is what I love about uh, the crowd and about tennis. That is only way. That's the only reason. Yeah. Tell me, who's your favorite player to play with on the Legends Tour? I love them all. I would say one I would have loved to play against was my great friend Peter McNamara. I hope he is in peace and I'm sure he is a great man. He passed away a few months ago and I miss him very much. He was one of the best. I played hundreds of matches with uh, Nastasi, Yannick Noah. I love when I'm playing against Mats Vilander, Michael Penforce, you know, those guys, Jeremy Bates, and, and they, they are really fantastic. But I, you know, I've played them all. McEnroe is a real star, you know, and, and uh, it's uh, always a pleasure. I love Borg, even though he's not playing. He's great friend and I, I have so much respect and I, I love the guy and yes, we talk to each other sometimes every now and then and it's always nice to see that he's, uh, he's doing good and um, I've played with all of them and I'm happy to play you know. And, and tell me when you practice at Roland Garros when things get back to normal in Paris and you can practice who do you normally practice with? I practice sometimes with the young players the pros sometimes they ask me. I just stand on one side and I hit uh, hard to them. I practice often. The ones who I often play with is my friend uh, Fabrice Santoro. You know, sometimes with Guy Forget, with uh, Cedric Piolin, and some other guys that you don't you won't you won't know. So sometimes with the girls, you know, they need the young girls who are trained, who are professionals, trained by the federation. The coaches comes and, and tell me, Masu, would you mind hitting with, uh, you know, the girls who are like uh, 100, yeah. 200, 150, 50, 60, yeah. And I play with them and, and I've hit with so many generations of the, the tennis, French tennis players. And so another question that was asked by our followers was, what's the most amount of tennis balls you can hold in your hand and serve? I have most balls I have had in my hands. And I tossed one, it's nine. It's very, very difficult, well, yeah. It, it is. Yeah, nine and tossed one. But, you know, sometimes it's how you bring six is very, very easy, you know. Seven is easy. But it's eight to nine, it's become more tricky. And But I have hold 21 in hand, but not for serving of 21. That, well. That's the best I've done. You know, that, that video we did up yesterday was you in Australia last year. And you're, hold, you're only holding six and you were serving, but it was still impressive the way yeah. you just bang down a serve volley and they're still in your hand. It's quite impressive. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, sometimes I was lucky when in the past, I, when the new balls, balls came, even on the, on the regular tour, on the ATP tour, I took the six balls and I showed it to the, the opponents and I hit four aces and I left the balls there and I said, here is, there's two balls for you, two new balls for you. You can hit. So that's how I make people laugh sometimes. And I, every time I have six balls, I change, changing the balls, new balls. I, I serve with six of them and I try to do that. It sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. If when it works, it's not, it makes people laugh, you know, sometimes doesn't. And I'm getting older. I'm not as stronger than I used to be. 
I've seen some of those serves. They're pretty good serves. Let's just touch on something else. I know, what are you working on now? You mentioned a bit to me your unconditional pictures business. Can you tell me more about that? As you know, that uh, there is, uh, uh, we are developing a movie on conditional picture. Is uh, trying to put this uh, movie together and, and uh, it's going very well. The the scenario, the script, it's a great, you know, and very, very nicely written. And uh, it's about my whole life and, and uh, it's on development, yes. And uh, Don McDaniel is, is taking care of, uh, of that uh, and uh, wrote the script uh, and, and doing a good job, great job. Has filming begun? Sorry? Is filming underway? It's in developing, yeah. It's probably hard to give any exact dates at the moment with the current situation. So I won't ask. That's going to be really exciting. Like I am excited now to get this book and have a good read through it. And as I said, we're going to give one away. So after this, I'll leave some instructions on how people can win a book. But Yes, that would be great, please. And and I'll tell you, really, many people ask me, Mansoor, I just, uh, I opened the book and I said, I'm going to read a little bit. And they said that, I couldn't put it down and I went all the, the, all, the, all the way and I read it, you know, all through. Great. Well, going to be excited with that. But thank you very much for jumping on, Mansoor. I really appreciate it. And it was really interesting. You know, it's not the usual tennis story you hear. So it was very interesting. So thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Fabio. And um, say hello to all the Irish people there. I will. By the way, bef- before I go, do you know? Do you know any of the Irish players? Irish player, I I have not seen Matt Doyle. I knew him very well. Uh, very tall guy. I have not seen him for years, and uh, I knew uh, very well uh, Sean Sorensen. And yeah, those two guys I, I knew. Sean was a very good player, and uh, and Matt too. And yeah. uh, I played Davis Cup in uh, 1975 in uh, Dublin. Yeah, we played in Dublin. And I'm sorry we beat the, the Irish team. Oh, no. <laughs> Don't, we, we're up and down. Sometimes we've good Davis Cup wins, but lately there ha- it's been very bad. So, uh, yeah, well, the good days, like we'd some McEnroe played Davis Cup here before. We'd some great players like yourself who played here before, but there really hasn't been anything major lately because we've been down at the lower divisions. But uh, hopefully the glory days will be back. I hope so. I hope so for the Irish tennis. That was me. Uh, that was 75. Wow. That is what, 45 years ago? Yeah, 45 years ago. Let's not let's not think about it. <laughs> no, I want to talk about it. <laughs> no, I'm joking. No, it's, it was it was good time. But the, the, the Irish people, we had great time. The very gentlemen, very nice people, very nice people. And let me know when you're back over here. We'll get you okay. playing some tennis. But thank you very much. Thank you. I really hope you enjoyed Mansoor's story. What a fascinating character he is. You can go more in-depth with his book, The Court Jester, which we are giving away. And as I said, leave a comment on our last Mansoor post over at Functional Tennis Podcast Instagram account to enter. Next week, I'll be back with WTA tour coach Tom Hill, who is the coach of top 20 player Maria Sakari. He's one, if not the youngest coach on the tour with a great story. Until then, I hope you get back on the tennis court and enjoy hitting some tennis balls. Goodbye.